This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Next summer, nature's most terrifying creature takes on an all-new dimension in an all-new adventure. And for the first time, the terror of Jaws will not stop at the edge of the screen. Jaws 3D. The third dimension is terror. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We're at the middle of uh, looking at the Jaws franchise. This time around, we're taking a look at Jaws 3D, also known as Jaws 3 for the home video release. This came out in 1983, directed by Joe Alves, with a screenplay by Carl Gottlieb and Richard Matheson, based on a story by Gordon Trueblood, based on characters by Peter Benchley, starring Dennis Quaid, Bess Armstrong, Leah Thompson, and Louis Gossett Jr. Music by Alan Parker, with a theme by John Williams, cinematography by James A. Compter, Chris Condon, and Austin McKinney. This was released by Universal Pictures in the U.S. in July 22, 1983, off a budget of $18 million, made around $87.9 million. Um, I believe that's worldwide, but I'm not sure on that one. No, that might just be domestically. Whatever. Um, my name is Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, hello. The theme song to the sequel cast is written and performed by Mark with a C, and the sequel cast is part of the Battleship Retention podcast fleet. Check out more film and TV podcast at battleshipretention.com. And uh, you can also hear our sequel cast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It's an app where you can listen to podcasts streaming on the go. Download the app at stitcher.com slash sequelcast, and sequelcast will be added automatically as one of your favorites. So, um, Jaws 3. When did you first see this one, Thrasher? The first time, the first time I'm aware of seeing it. Okay, let me take you back to 2004. In 2004, uh, the, uh, a lot of people won't know this, but uh, the cable network AMC, the AM, I don't know what it stands for now, but it used to stand for American Movie Classics, and they used to show classic black and white cinemascope and, and, and historical films. Well, cable being the uh, self-defeating monster that it is, by uh, by the 2000s, they had started to phase out classic films from the network's rotation. Until when it got to 2004, the network only showed uh, three movies. Escape from Alcatraz, uh, a movie that I so bad I can't even remember what it was, uh, and Jaws 3D. And for a full two years, you could always find Jaws 3 on AMC. And I saw a lot of it when I was just getting out of college. Hmm. I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. 
If, if you if you were up like 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, sometimes you'd catch a black and white film. Otherwise, it was just absolute crap on that network. Yeah, Jaws 3D came out in 83, so that's five years after Jaws 2 in 78. And in fact, yeah, this was all part of the whole uh, the whole brief uh, 3D revival that was happening in 1983, which also included uh, Amityville the Demon. And uh, Friday the 13th. Um, was 3D. It 3D? Yeah, right. So... I mean, but yeah, that was a very brief revival. It's not like, you know, all the post-Avatar stuff we have now, where it's quite a lot of stuff is uh, being done in 3D. Um, yeah, I first saw this film, you know, just watching it for the sequel cast. As I've said before in the past episodes, uh, I've never seen any of the sequels for Jaws, um, you know, aside from watching it for this show. So it was interesting going into it. I, I did some research about this film, and uh, we had... Uh, you know, one of our listeners was wanting us to talk about movie trivia on the show some more, so here's some trivia for you. I don't know the guy's name in front of me, unfortunately. He knows who he is. He knows who he is. I will find it in a second. But anyway, uh, one of the original pitches for Jaws 3 would have been uh, from National Lampoon, and it would have been called Jaws 3 People Zero. And uh, John Hughes is one of the writers on the script. And they had a script written... And uh, producer Maddie Simmons, who also produced, you know, like Animal House and the National Lampoon movies, really wanted to do it. And uh, reportedly, Steven Spielberg is really upset that they wanted to make Jaws 3 a comedy. And Which is a shame. I think that would have been a very good version of this film. I think it would have been... Yeah, I mean, I think in that Jaws 3, People Zero, I haven't read the script, but I was reading a review of the script, and they were saying there was a scene where... The director of Jaws, Steven Spielberg, gets his body pieces like chopped off by the shark throughout the film. The shark attacks someone in their own swimming pool. Uh, it's a very meta film. It's a film about like a, a Jaws three being pitched. That that would have been brilliant. I would love to see that movie. Yeah, I don't know if those people taking themselves too seriously or what. But even when Jaws three D got released, you know, in the United States, it was the number fifteen. Uh, the top 15 uh, box office grossing film of 1983. Which uh, bel- uh, number was it? Number 15, I mean. Oh, just right there at the bottom. Uh, yeah. So number below it at number 16 was Scarface, the Al Pacino film. Above it at number 14 was the uh, unofficial James Bond film starring Sean Connery, Never Say Never Again. So... It's so weird that this outperformed Scarface, because Scarface is the film that everybody loves today. Although, well, nowadays, admittedly, think... that's because it gained momentum after getting a cult following. Oh, yeah, I think with the with the videotape release and then everyone, every episode of MTV Cribs, any rapper, any pop <laughs> star at his house has a, has a poster of Scarface in there. Yeah. Uh, I remember, not to go on too much of a Scarface tangent, but I took a few film history courses in college. And, you know, they start you at the beginning, and there actually was a movie called Scarface from the 1920s or 30s. And the teacher said, we're going to watch a clip from Scarface. And this guy in class was like, oh, man, Al Pacino's awesome in that movie. And the teacher had to correct him and say, well, no, this is the the original version from uh, the 1920s and so forth. So, <laughs> Yeah, but with, no, 30s, with all these the big budget spectacle films i really hope that jaws 3 people zero gets dusted off because we really i don't think we've ever had a parody of the animal based disaster movie yeah you know with all the different uh, film parodies they they've done there hasn't been 
a big killer animal, you know, spoof. You're right. So yeah, some somehow this genre has proved immune to parody. Well, I think because you don't see that many of the stuff. I mean, there's original Jaws and the sequels, as we were talking about uh, here on the sequel cast, are all kind of pale imitations. But like, besides from Jaws, what's an iconic like uh, animal killer animal in, in a film? I'll admit there aren't that many, and like most of them were ripoffs of Jaws, like uh, Night of the Lepus. Uh you know, and things like that, uh, that that 80s remake of Food of the Gods. It, it's so weird. Like, I, I feel like I feel like there's a parallel universe where Mel Brooks did a parody of Jaws instead of Star Wars. The only one I can think of at the top of my head, I can think of two uh, other franchises about killer animals. There's, like, the Anaconda movies. Yep. And then Lake Placid. Oh, yeah. There's four Lake Placids. I think only the first one was in theaters. Um, but... There was at least, I think, three anacondas, I think. Um, I think so. And then there's plenty of imitators of anaconda, such as anaconda versus giant python, anaconda versus boa. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's, what, uh, one of which takes place in the Arctic. Oh, okay. In, in, like a, in like a privatized prison colony on the South Pole, and a, a broken heat vent thaws a giant snake, which has been encla- encased in glacial ice, which then goes around eating prisoners. Well, back to Jaws 3D, I have to say that I appreciate they don't make this one take place at Amity Island again. That is a nice break. It's at SeaWorld in Florida. And, I mean, the opening of this film with the, the people on the water skis and it's all the people, you know, the kind of the cheerleader pyramid on top of the water skis. I think is kind of a nod to Jaws 2, where you have a big sequence in the beginning with one person on a water ski being eaten by a shark. And this one, well, it's a big to-do. Well, I mean, you want to, with a sequel, you want to give everybody everything they got in the previous movie, but bigger and better. So one guy on, on water skis, no, we're going to give you a whole pyramid this time. The only thing it doesn't give us more of is more sharks. It's still one shark. Do you think it's unnecessary... In uh, in this film, that like Jaws two and Jaws three, you still follow around the kids of um, you know of Brody from the first film. In this case, I don't think it's unnecessary, but yeah. they've got to have some sort of connection to the original film to make it official. So it might as well be the kids. They're going to be the easiest easiest ones to cast. Well, I think they do a better job with these characters than in Jaws two. You know, and the character is a bit older in this one. The older brother, Mike Brody, is played by Dennis Quaid. And the younger brother, Sean Brody, is played by John Putch. So, the setting of Jaws 3, I feel, uh, works okay. And it seems like in the movie, I mean, you can tell this was designed for 3D because there's a lot of goofy 3D effects in the film. There's also some weird mats, which wouldn't have been as obvious if you were watching it in 3D. Yeah, I've noticed on the edges of the screen when I was watching it, it looked really fuzzy. Like, they kind of did stuff out of focus on purpose to make the 3D stuff pop out more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the end, when the shark gets blown up, the jaws float towards the screen. There's a a part later where they go through this big uh, underwater exhibit, and tentacles fly out from the side to scare people, kind of like a haunted house. Well, I mean, the the whole reason all this, this is going on, there's a 
In uh, Film Facts issue 125, they've got a wonderful article about the making of Jaws 3 with, I think it was uh, the director and one of the producers. And that was kind of the reason they went with this underwater amusement park thing is that they figured, well, if we're making a 3D movie, let's make it the ultimate 3D movie. Let's make, let's put everything in this movie, let's make it in service to 3D. And so that's where they came up with the idea of the underwater uh, amusement park and like the whole anim- giant animatronic octopus that would rest over part of it. And so like that you would always guarantee that there would be stuff that would be impressive to see in 3D in every frame. And of course it doesn't it didn't actually come out that way, but because unfortunately a lot of the effects got kind of cut rate as the film progressed, but that was always their goal and they were trying to pack as much 3D into every frame as they could. I find it interesting that the setting is SeaWorld and they call it SeaWorld. They don't call it something else. Well, is it like SeaWorld, SeaWorld, or just like yes. by an amazing coincidence? No, it's SeaWorld, SeaWorld. Well, you know what, though? Was SeaWorld an institution at that point, or was had it recently been started? Because this could have been an attempt to get its name out there. I mean, the SeaWorld Park opened uh, in Orlando, opened in 1973, so 10 years before the release of Jaws. Oh, uh, okay. But certainly by that time in the early 80s, you know, Disney World was expanding into Epcot Center and so forth. And the whole um, Orlando becoming more of sort of a tourist trap with multiple theme parks was becoming a bigger thing. And, of course, the fascist city-state of Celebration, Florida. Indeed. Indeed. Take that, Celebration, Florida! I'll never have my comeuppance! Why are you so bitter against Celebration, Florida? (laughs) I'm I'm really not. I just don't don't like those kind of engineered communities. (laughs) I see. What's something about Jaws 3 that leaps out at you, perhaps in 3D, when you think about it? (laughs) Well, actually, uh, and you all, regular listeners of the sequel cast will know that I do love model work, and Jaws 3 is just chocked full of it. I love looking at every exterior shot of the underground section of the theme park. I love looking at all the habitats and like the domes and the walkways and and really picking apart how how those those models were made. I even like I even like the the model submarine, which looks terrible on film, but I think <laughs> it's just because it's a cut rate 3D mat job. The model itself, I really like. It looks very plausible to me. Yeah, and it, it doesn't do it any favors where there's a scene where you see it moving really slowly docking towards the underwater section of the park. And, you know, it's done to show off the 3D element, which, you know, weirdly enough, the DVD doesn't have a 3D version. I I know some DVDs of films have a 3D version where you get the old glasses and and watch them. Really? I haven't seen too many of those. Um, I'd love to have that experience. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, what is it, Freddy's Dead? Is that the one that has a 3D sequence at the end? I am not entirely sure. Uh, whatever the Nightmare in Elm Street is, I don't know it off the top of my head either. That has a 3D sequence at the end. They have a version of that scene you can watch in 3D on the DVD. Um, there's a few that you've the old, I think, what, Anaglyphs, what the old one is called, where it's the blue and red lens oh, with yeah. the cheap cardboard glasses. And, I mean, you know, now the modern TVs have the ability to do 3D if you have the proprietary glasses and so forth. But I haven't got to, I haven't got to experience that. Myself and Jaws 3D does not have a Blu-ray release, but if they did, I don't think they'd put into the money to do a 3D conversion of um, 
Maybe, maybe as part of an know. ultimate Jaws box set, maybe they'd spring for that. Maybe, maybe that could be. Three times the terror. Oof. Three times the Jaws. Oh, I like the tagline in the poster: "The third dimension is terror." That's <laughs> that's that is a pretty good uh, a pretty good tagline. Although I gotta say that poster. That has got to be the worst poster for a 3D movie, because the only thing that looks 3D are the words Jaws and 3D. The <laughs> shark is the most flat, static shark. It looks like a cardboard cutout of a shark propped up in the background. There, there's, like, very little sense of depth in the foreground with the water skiers. Well, the poster to the original Jaws is such a classic of the shark, you know, at the bottom of the ocean going up towards the naked uh, lady swimming in the ocean. It's just yeah, impossible they, they to. Could have done, they could have done yeah. something with like forced perspective so that we could see like the shark in 3D oh, coming at rising you, up yeah. to, to snatch the woman out of the water, or maybe the woman swimming down into into the jaws. Yeah, there's different things uh, they could have done with that poster, certainly. But I tell you, the 3D. Normally, I'm happy enough with double Ds, but they give you triple Ds. Boy, that's more than a handful. Very good, Shecky Spielberg. Ha-cha-cha! Very good. Um, I think the, the romance in this film is kind of tired between uh, Michael Brody, played by Dennis Quaid, and Kay, played by Bess Armstrong. Well, I mean, it's like it's like any disaster movie. There have to be people in love in a disaster movie. I guess. And you have the, the classic sort of conflict where, oh, she has a job that's going to take her uh, overseas, but he wants to stay... And uh, and work at the work at the park, working his marine biologist, uh, working his stuff, you know. Well, you know, because I guess the thing is, like, like that that kind of that kind of uh, like romance. They're they're still kids. They still both have their whole lives ahead of them. Yes. So when I see that kind of romance into a movie. I really don't care whether they, they're still together at the end because there's plenty of time in their future for them to get back together. And in many and in many ways, you know, sometimes them going their separate ways is the best thing that can happen to both of them. But all the shit with the dolphins, come on. It's just such a big cutesy element. And when I think of Jaws, I don't think of cutesy. And, you know, they're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, oh is the dolphin going to dies is this other shark gonna die oh the dolphins helped us to safety <laughs> it's nonsense yeah the, it's it's very few very few movies can in manage to include dolphins without making them completely cutesy poo uh wasn't there a movie about like dolphins and nuclear war I'm sure there was. Uh, it's just that the title's not coming to mind. There, I believe. Well, actually, no. There was a movie about uh, about uh, was it mind sweeping dolphins? Wasn't there? Uh, the day of the dolphin is what I was thinking of. A oh, really? Seventies film about they train dolphins to uh, talk to humans, but then um, a dolphin gets involved with a uh, political assassination somehow. Oh, with, with George C. Scott. Oh, yes. that's right. Yeah. Now it's all coming back to me. <laughs> the poster for that one. I love one, that the dolphins have English accents. <laughs> the poster for that one in big letters says, "Unwittingly, he trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States." <laughs> that should be the title of the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, so yeah. I'd like two tickets for "Unwittingly, he trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States." Like "Day of the Dolphin" just seems like the throwaway title. <laughs> 
Mm. I, I love that they give you the whole movie in that tagline. Indeed. It's like, Star Wars! A group of people blow up a battle station. <laughs> As a fan of podcasts, you've probably thought about starting one of your own. Introducing the new HyperX Duocast. The Duocast has all the essential features an aspiring podcaster would want from a USB mic with HyperX favorites like tap to mute and a vibrant mute indicator. It's compact and elegantly styled, perfect for situations where you want a mic that looks great but isn't too extra. Check out the new HyperX Duocast available at Target.com or shop direct at HyperX.com. I mean, the shark looks okay in this, but it's not as good as the shark in Jaws 2. Although I did think it was kind of funny to get a first-person shark perspective shot where as part of this uh, big underwater exhibit at SeaWorld where it's connected by a series of pipes, there's like a dining room where you can see the ocean behind this big pane of glass. And at one point the shark, you know, swims up against that glass and the people inside are running around screaming. And you see that from the shark's perspective and it's all just That is a fun scene. Yeah. Yeah, and I do like that. That that is one thing. That's one thing that's both a blessing and a curse for this movie, since so much of it takes place in this underwater habitat. Unlike all of the Jaws films, you're going to see the entire shark for prolonged periods. And on the one hand, you know it's it's awesome that you're in an environment where you just flat out have to see the whole shark. But on the other hand. It's still not the most convincing shark when you do see it all laid out on screen. It gives you fewer opportunities to do those neat cuts and interesting omissions that can give it so much more reality and depth. Right. I mean, something the first two Jaws films have with their with their setting is you get extended sequences where characters are out in the open in the ocean. You know, you're kind of alone out there and the shark is coming to get you. Jaws 3D, well, you're in an amusement park. And even if things go wrong, well, you can run to another part of the amusement park. Well, and also, it cuts down on a lot of possible carnage, because everyone's sealed in this habitat. It's not as if the shark is breaking in and killing them. And it's not as if the shark is, like, smashing the glass, which would end the movie instantly. Uh, it's really just, it's it's more like it's more like a standard disaster movie, you know? How, how, how much air do they have? How long can they ride this horrible situation out? It's not like the shark is specifically going after them constantly. Right. I mean, there is a lack of... Not that the shark was non-stop in the, the first movie either, but... Yeah, there's not a great... You don't get a whole lot of, like, shark versus man action until the uh, the end of the film. Yeah. And I, I found the DVD uh, picture quality on this just, just hideous. It, it all looked really murky and dark. It was tough to make out what was happening. Well, I think that's a side effect of the 2D print that was made of the movie, which oh, is yeah? what you normally see on television. That may very well be the best 2D print available of the film. Mm. I, I know, actually, I believe in that, that Film Facts article, they do talk about trying to restore it based on the original 3D prints, but at, at the time, that it hadn't really moved forward. And would they put, you know, all sorts of money for a restoration into a Jaws 3D compared to the original Jaws, you know? That's another part of it. Um, yeah. What did I was surprised to see Leah Thompson in this film as the girlfriend of Sean Brody. You know, I don't think I don't think I ever made the connection that that was her in all the times I've seen this. She's not a main character. She's not in it very much, but uh, it's just one of those things. It's like, oh yeah, Leah Thompson from Back to the Future and Caroline in the City. Okay. <laughs> 
who who is who is an awesome actress. Oh no, certainly. Yeah, I just you know didn't expect to see her in Jaws 3D. Um, you try to have a little bit in this film that's a weird sort of oh what do you call it? It reminds well, me a bit of the second Jurassic Park film Lost World, where there's a guy that's like a hunter that wants to take out the shark, but the owner of the park just wants to keep the park running. Which is, which is on the one hand, like if you had a a park with a real life megalodon in it, well, you would be sitting on the greatest park in the world. Although at the same time, it's like it's like in all it's in all of these movies, you have a monster that's killing people, and there's always no hold on. Let's not be hasty about this monster. Oh, exactly, and. Uh... And, oh, and actually, it also brings up the diehard dilemma. How many times can this keep happening to the same people? <laughs> this is another <laughs> incident of a giant shark showing up where the Brody family is. They really uh, talk about that in the dialogue of Jaws the Revenge, the last Jaws yeah. film that we'll talk about next week. Well, you know, do, you think, do you think that maybe the Brody family are actually part shark and the, and the, the <laughs> megalodons have just been trying to return them to their people? They just keep getting mixed signals and screwing up, screwing up first contact? You know, I don't know if they're part shark, but... Atlantean? Could be Atlantean. That could be it. They got some DNA strand, you know, maybe... Uh... Yeah, I don't DNA. know. What about TNA? Where are the broads and bikinis in this picture? Again, it would have been nice to see a cameo from Richard Dreyfuss in this film. Yeah, like I would totally like to see that, or like the the or yeah, like you know, as the marine biologist, like consulting at the park or something. Right, just as a walk on. I mean, I can see you know, Roy Scheider did not want to be in a Jaws film again. Oh yeah. And reportedly, he intentionally like scheduled what films he was going to be in, just so he wouldn't be cast in the next Jaws sequel. That's a smart move. <laughs> After he was forced to be in Jaws two. You know, I also like to imagine they would like go to Quint, and it would just be a cameo of him on a beach sipping a mai tai. I'm retired now. Go away. Quint dies in the original Jaws. Yeah, but he could still have a cameo. I guess. It could be his brother Flint, and then it could oh, be Jaws okay. three: The Legend of go. Flint's Gold, because yeah. he buried treasure. From a salvage operation on the same site where SeaWorld uh, was built, so he go so he uses the shark attack as cover to go down and retrieve the treasure. Now that the uh, statute of limitations is off, I see. Look what I just did. Yes, look what you just did. <laughs> ah. Now that I think about it, I would like to see the Legend of Flint's Gold. <laughs> A Jaws sequel. So Hollywood, if you're listening, I'm. You've got your screenwriter right here. It's really shocking they haven't made a, a remake of Jaws at this point. Well, you know what? I almost think it's it, like that. It's Jaws is almost it's sacred as as the film that really launched Spielberg as an American film icon. It would be like try, it would be like pitching a remake of Star Wars or Citizen Kane. I guess. I mean, you've had a few, like, shark movies come out since Jaws. Um, Two-headed shark attack, shark to puss. Yeah. You could forget shark to puss. Was it one in the 90s? Oh, 
uh, hurricane of sharks or shark tornado. Sharknado. That's what it is. Sharknado. This is an honest to god film about a yeah. about a tornado full of sharks. I've not seen that one. Is that produced by good old Roger Corman? Uh, it might be an asylum film. Actually, I'm not oh, entirely okay. sure. Well, uh, before we wrap up our thoughts on Jaws 3D, let's uh, take a break to talk about some of our affiliates and so forth. Indeed. You can visit us at SequelCast.com as the main website, or the Facebook site is Facebook.com slash SequelCast. And if you like our uh, show, SequelCast, you might want to check out some of our other podcasts, like SequelCast Special, Sequel Commentary, and Video Game SequelCast. And... uh, if you like what you hear and you want to help us out, the best way to do that is donate via PayPal. Go to SequelCast.com slash donate, and there's a link to the PayPal uh, button where you can donate to us. And uh, every little bit helps because it costs money to put on a podcast. Alms. Alms for the poor. As you said earlier, you can uh, listen to us on Stitcher Smart Radio by going to Stitcher.com slash SequelCast. Deleting Stitches. Yep, not only do you get the app, but SequelCast gets added as one of your favorite. If you go to SequelCast.com, next time you want to do some shopping, we have some Amazon.com links where you can click on those before you do your shopping. We get a little cut of that. That helps. And you can also buy some of our merchandise through Cafe Press, like buttons, T-shirts, whiskey flask, whatever you like. Check that out at SequelCast.com. I want to see someone drinking out of a SequelCast whiskey flask at a public venue. That would be a fantastic picture for our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. And if you want to send us an email, you can do so at sequelcast at gmail.com. And to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me, Matt, at sequelcast. And uh, what's your Twitter handle, Thrasher? Internet Mayor. Because I'm the mayor of the internet. It was a close call in the last election, but I won. Hmm. You will hear such gems as one I made today, which is that uh, Matt, the complete second season of Mad TV just came out on DVD. I can't tell if this is too soon or too late. They released the first season quite some time ago. It was like several years ago. I, I believe they released it like uh, within a year after the show finally went off the air. Do you love Japan and video games? Well, so do we. We're Kinsey and Mark from Kyoto Indie Devs Chuhai Labs. Join us twice monthly for games, silly Japan news, and all-around nonsense. We stink at making commercials. <laughs> we f***ing got this one, bro. Be sure to stop by the Chu High Labs Discord to chat about our games or ask us questions. Chu High Labs and the Nasty Labs Podcast. We're legally the best. Hi, it's me, Jeremy Parrish, co-host of the Retronauts Podcast, the only video game history podcast that's been around so long, it's also a part of video game history. Every week, one of the motley rabble who hosts this show leads a deep dive into the past, whether it's to break down a classic franchise, learn more about a timeless game from its creator, or just wallow in nostalgia. Relive history with Retronauts, here on the HyperX Podcast Network. I'm Colette. And I'm Matt. It's time to talk about the most important topic facing humanity. Video games. Oh, okay, video games. Every week on Colette and Matt have entered the chat, we have in-depth conversations about the games we're currently playing. We also talk to people who make video games, as well as YouTubers, writers, and podcasters that you already know and love. We also talk about what you're playing when you join our community. Subscribe to Colette and Matt have entered the chat wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
You know, I think we now know the inspiration for the Jaws theme. It's just a samba, slowed down at a minor key. <laughs> I, be, I bet they're. I bet on YouTube they have some side by side comparisons. <laughs> if not, sambas. we'll have to make one. Yeah. So what is your purpose by bringing us back to Jaws 3? Well, you know, I try to look at a film from a broader perspective. So I, th- I think Jaws 3 is more interesting than Jaws 2 because of its setting and uh, some of the 3D effects are kind of goofy. It's like, they take more risks, too. They do take more risks, but it still ultimately is a film that really bores me to tears. And I don't think any of the characters really pop. Yeah, it it is very bland in that way. And the, the main thing that this movie has going for it is the interesting setting, which I don't think is ever this kind of setting has ever been attempted in a disaster film uh, since. But that is also part of its flaw that it's it's not a shark attack movie uh, or a suspense movie. It's a disaster movie that happens to have a giant shark at the periphery. So, what could Jaws three have used more of to make it more engaging? Well, I guess. I would I would have done a I would have done many more things with the underwater setting. I would have had people steal scuba gear and try to escape that way. I would have had the whole under I wouldn't just have the people trapped underwater running out of air. I would have the whole facility starting to slowly deteriorate. You know, it gets darker, you know, they mm. lose power, they use lighting, it starts leaking. Uh you know, really start to really start to make it claustrophobic, have uh, factions break up, have people that like take over the, the, the that underwater cafe and now they control all the food uh and 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 you know people start to control who lives and who dies and really make a kick-ass microcosm in that underwater facility uh and i guess give the shark like more, more to do have an orca escape from SeaWorld. have it fight an orca have it fight a dolphin oh yeah have it fight the giant animatronic octopus which actually as I recall from that FilmFacts article, that was a scene that they had planned, but uh, it was eventually decided not to film, which was that uh, the shark was supposed to tear that giant animatronic octopus apart. Huh. I Yeah, I mean, that would have been a really cool scene. That's stupid that they didn't weren't able to get the budget or whatever to put that in the film. I think with Jaws 3, that... I, uh, you know, I like, like you said, Thrasher, I enjoy the idea of this underwater area where these people are and the shark is attacking them at the end of this underwater area. I almost wish that would have been, like, more remote from the main theme park, like, if that would have been, like, underneath some island. Like, I don't know. It it just, something to increase the danger in that final series of sequences. Some more interesting action. Like, yes, it's fun to see the shark explode at the end. And you could have made the... Again, the the Brody kids, uh, Michael and Sean, a bit more, a bit more interesting. I I like that the younger brother, Sean Brody, is afraid of the water. Well, I mean, he has plenty of reason to. Sharks keep trying to get yeah, his right. I like that aspect of it, and uh, and I don't know. It just could have maybe another pass of the script. Uh, maybe even though I like the Sea World setting. Uh, like there's a big sequence there's a sequence in the film where these people are, are watching uh 
you've seen the people on the water skis go by doing a, a show for the people at SeaWorld and the people in SeaWorld are all sitting on concrete in the park, you know, watching out on the ocean, this little show that's happening. And the shark is kind of chasing the people. And, you know, all the people on land are, are fine. They can just run away from the water. It doesn't make it as chaotic as a scene where a bunch of people are in the ocean and all of a sudden there's a shark. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's, and it's not like Amity where if they can't have people on the beaches, the entire town's economy uh, you know, will, will fall apart. You know, People's livelihoods will be at stake. Whereas with, with, uh, with Jaws 3, with a, with a, if a giant shark shows up and starts fucking up your amusement park, well, only the amusement park is really what's under threat. And amusement parks are probably the least essential branch of the American economy. Um, and then taking it further... That shark is also the best thing that could happen to that amusement park if you could contain it. So in many ways, the amusement park is better off with a killer shark there. I would, I would always be more interesting is if the shark started out captured by an unscrupulous amusement park, unscrupulous but ambitious amusement park uh, head who was going to try to make it his next big attraction, but then in a moment, but then due to his hubris, it escaped. That would have really made a lot of a lot more things at stake. And it is really weird. You have like a baby shark that they're taking care of, and that kind of gets the big shark mad. Presumably, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right in the film, but I almost would have rather seen uh, the. Um, Maybe they could have equipped the dolphin with weapons and had it fight the shark. I don't know. They have yeah, all this shit with the dolphins going on. Like you make get, a you, homemade bomb, yeah, strap it to the right. dolphin, which nobly sacrifices itself by swimming into the shark's mouth. <laughs> that, that would have been great. Yep. Or maybe like made a metal set of jaws that you like screw onto the shark. Wait, why or into you... the dolphin? I mean, so I'll screw onto the. Oh, oh. You equip no, the no, dolphins no. with its own jaws and have it fight the shark. You strap or, or strap a like a drill onto the dolphin's forehead. So it was like a narwhal, and the dolphin can come spiraling through the water, drilling through the shark and bursting out the other side in a, in a spurt of gore. Mm. That would have been the ultimate, uh, the sort of the, the ultimate underdog victory is if they did have just a whole pod of dolphins show up and and uh, pummel the shark to death. Yeah, I mean, I think Jaws 3D should have had a bit more fun with itself. I think. Th- that's 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 true. A greater there, there's a certain sly sense of humor in the original Jaws that the sequels just do not capture, and Jaws three certainly could have used more humor. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, I think, would, it would make it would make the yeah. whole thing go down much easier. Well, speaking of which, I think we should at the time we should rate the film. Uh, I yeah. give Jaws three or Jaws three D, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, probably two stars out of five. I think it's a little bit better than Jaws 2, but not much. It still just kind of lays there like a dead fish on the screen. You g- It finally gets fun towards the end, but by then it's too little, too late. I, I'm i going to give it a three, a very, very even three, uh, simply because I respect this film's ambition. They really did try to do something different with the Jaws sequel. It's just not executed as well as it could have been. And and th- the execution is the only thing that's holding it back. I think they have a really great premise. Uh but but again, not it just it just is not translated well to the screen. I did enjoy it more than the second one though. 
You only saw the opening credits of the second one. Yes, and I still <laughs> had more fun with this. Okay. So, uh, did you give a rating for it then? Yeah, three. Three stars. Oh, I'm sorry. Three star fish. Uh, three star fish out of five star fish. Very good. So now we're going to go into a pitch a sequel. Our segment of the show in which we pretend they were no uh, sequels made in this Jaws 3 film. And uh, where do we take things next? I'll begin. I'd say this one, you know, you've had three films in a row focusing on the Brody family. I think um, the next one you would have to take Jaws to its logical conclusion Said it a hundred years in the future, in the, the year twenty eighty three, and there there'd uh, be a, a space station. On the space station, there'd be uh, an aquarium on there, where there's a, a great white shark, and somehow this great white shark uh, gets uh, you know rams into the wall. A piece of glass and a computer chip falls into the shark on the space station, and it gets the ability to be able to stay out of water for like uh, 30 seconds at a time. And so you have a killer. It's like an alien beats Jaws on a space station. And the shark can get out of the water, but only for a limited amount of time. Hello? Hey, hello. So, did you finish your pitch? We got cut off, so I think I'll just... Uh... The, the last thing I heard off. was yeah. that, um, that a, a glass cuts the shark and a microchip gets into the shark. Yeah, so after that, the shark gets the ability to uh, be able to get out of the water for 30 seconds at a time without dying. <laughs> And so it's like Alien meets Jaws on a, on a starship, on a space station, a tourist attraction in the future. And you get a, a little twist on there because the shark can live out of water for a short amount of time. The shark can't speak, but he has the ability to breathe, the ability to hate, and maybe the ability to love. I, I'd call it Jaws 4 in, uh, in space. Well... Space uh, Jaws. Space Jaws. Brown has spotted a flaw. Yes. Uh, you can already take a shark out of water for about 30 seconds and put it back in and it'll be relatively fine. Well, you see, with the Space Jaws, it would gain like super strength when it went out of the water for 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. So it's so a very it's, special computer chip it gets imbued with. What, what were they developing that computer chip for? Was it a cure for Alzheimer's? It's like uh, Jojo, the intern, is walking with the box with his box of computer chips, trips and falls, and one of them falls into the shark tank by accident. And he's like, oh, hope no one notices. And it happens to be one that, uh, you know, the, the chip that helps the shark. It's just meant to be a setup for a ridiculous storyline. But I, I, I'd call it Space Jaws. I'm, the fourth I'm assuming the, the, the space station has artificial gravity then. Uh... Yeah, that can be turned on and off. By the right. shark? <laughs> no. Not, you can not, use the chip to hack into life support and turn not, the gravity off. 
not not by the shark, but at a. I don't think the shark can make gravity uh, change at will, but there'll be an exciting action sequence in which the shark is chasing after someone, and they hit the gravity thing, and all of a sudden the shark is stuck on the ceiling. He doesn't have gravity boots. And, uh, he's just kind of sitting there flopping around, and that's where they can get their clear shot to finish him off at the end in Space Jaws. Okay. <laughs> so that's my uh, pitch of sequel. What's yours? Right, my, 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 <laughs> my sequel... Uh, my my sequel will be uh, Jaws 4D Below. Get ready to hear your teeth chatter. So the Brody boys have decided, fuck sharks. They get their degrees in uh, marine biology, and they uh, they end up joining this uh, this uh, Arctic expedition. So they join. So they set up a base in the Arctic. It's a lot like the base from the Thing. But once again, they're attacked by shark. Yet another megalodon shows up, and this megalodon can swim up uh, under the Arctic ice with such force that it can break through the ice and then snap people under. And so it starts out killing polar bears, and they find these mysteriously killed polar bears. But then it gets a taste for human blood and starts going after all the people, uh, all the people in the Arctic base. And the whole time, you know, they're radioing for the mainland, please, you know, send rescue, send rescue. And the only rescue that can be sent is an icebreaker ship, which of course the megalodon will take down. Uh, in the end, uh, the shark will be the shark will be destroyed when one of their uh, undersea uh, survey subs discovers. A, uh, discovers a pocket of uh, methane uh, of uh, methane gas. Uh, well, it's, it's liquefied because of pressure and temperature. And what they do is they manage to 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 basically frack open the seabed floor and release all these bubbles of methane gas, which they then ignite. While the shark is in the middle of it, so there's this huge explosion, and ice and water and shark meat goes everywhere. Mm. So the shark is essentially ice fishing for humans. And what would it be called? Oh, and what the hell? It can also stick its fin up through the ice, swim in a circle, and cut a little hole. That's very nice. I like that. Uh, what, yeah, would, nice what would you touch. call it? A little, little absurdity there. Yeah. And the name would be what? Uh, no, it's uh, J- uh, Jaws 40 Below. Very good. If you want to hear... And the poster uh, would yeah. actually show like an ice cave with, with icicles that look like shark teeth. <laughs> There at one point would be a cave. That has something to do with them finding methane deposits. I think uh, the poster for for mine, Space Jaws, would say space, the uh, the the fin, like uh, the fin frontier. <laughs> the finnal frontier. The finnal frontier, yeah, but like fin would be in capital letters. Very good. Well, uh, Let's do a, a segment, uh, Sequel News, on uh, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. I try and touch on uh, current news about you know movie sequels and development that I find interesting. Sequel news! And uh, I recently uh, posted a trailer for the upcoming uh, film this summer, The Wolverine, which is a, a sequel to X-Men Origins Wolverine. And uh, this particular one is based off the graphic... Uh, Novel uh, of Wolverine done by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller from the 80s. So what did you think of this trailer for the Wolverine, Thrasher? It was an interesting enough trailer. I, I'm really uh, I'm really fascinated with, uh, with 
you know, well, I mean, in any franchise, eventually you have to go to New York or, or Tokyo, and they're going to Tokyo. And I hope they, I definitely hope they use Japan well. Uh, you know, I hope we do get to see nods to other uh, classic X Men characters, and just in general, I hope it's a good story. Now, I, it implies that part of it is like. Wolverine's going to become is going to lose his mutant abilities. He's going to become human. I don't exactly buy that Wolverine would necessarily want that to happen to him, but who knows? Maybe the story will earn it. Uh, I'm, I, I, chances are, I am going to see it. Maybe not opening weekend, but definitely in the theaters. Yeah, I. It's been so long since I've read that particular run of the comics. I forget what happens in the comic, but I remember romance is a big element of the comic, and I believe Wolverine is in some sort of a love triangle or something. Um, so. It'll be interesting how they pull that off without being too melodramatic. I think the setting of Japan will set it uh, more apart from some of the other X-Men films. Oh, but hey, have you noticed that the that the X-Men films ha- have a, a, a fetishistic obsession with uh, impression pins? How do you mean? Well, did you notice in the first two X-Men movies... Uh, in in the X Men headquarters, uh, Cerebro, the, not Cerebro, but the whole the whole uh, that map system they have constructs three D maps by pushing up pins on a flat tabletop. Yes. And did you notice how in this film the Japanese guy who's Wolverine's uh, friend from World War Two is sitting on like a support bed, and all the supports are made out of those impression pins? I did not notice that, but that's a really uh, interesting point. Yeah, check it out. It's there. For whatever reason, these things keep showing up in the X-Men movies. Hmm. I, um, I'm interested with uh, the Wolverine and to see uh, if it's good or not. You know, I, I'm hoping it does not fall into the problem that X-Men Origins Wolverine had, where it's like too many mutants and too much stuff kind of going on in one storyline. Well, I think they've, they've probably learned their lesson, especially with some of the other Marvel movies. I, I think it's going to be it's going to be much more measured. While there may be nods to other aspects of X Men in the Marvel universe, they're not going to dominate the film or weight it down. I would think. Yeah, but I agree. I'm very uh, excited and curious to see uh, how it turns out. I hope there's more stuff in World War II. I kind of want mm. like at least half of it to be a period piece. But yeah, that would be interesting to see how much they go into that. Uh, we'll just um, just have to see. I know ninjas are a big part of the comic book. Well, yeah, that was the the, the Frank. Wasn't that written in the Frank Miller era of comic books where ninjas had to be put into everything? Yeah, I mean Frank Miller was the drew the comic, and uh, Chris well, Claremont wrote it. So yeah, definitely. So if you want to check out more sequel news, check it out at facebook.com slash sequelcast or go to sequelcast.com um, and if you want to check out other episodes of sequelcast where we've covered franchises such as the Muppets, Ram- the Muppets Star, War- Star Wars Rambo Reanimator uh, Bill and Ted and their excellent adventures and bogus journeys Home Alone and all sorts of stuff check out that at sequelcast.com so now we're going to move on to our final segment of the sequelcast what you're watching so, Thrasher, what you're watching? Well, 
Sadly, you know, again, not. I, I've been so busy with with freelancing, I haven't actually had time to just sit down and watch a movie. Much to my chagrin, I've just been, you know, trying to get in a lot of reading. Uh, and the most recent thing I've read, actually, uh, I found uh, last weekend. We went, uh, Sarah and I went by the Peddler's Mall, where which is just an inexhaustible resource of, of kick-ass sci-fi paperbacks. And I found the novel Protector by Larry Niven. I just finished that this morning. Fantastic novel. Had you read it before? I had not read it before. Uh, it, it, it's part of his uh, his uh, n- known space series. It's a series of interconnected novels and short stories. I, I think I've mentioned them on the show before. Uh, and uh, this and uh, Protector is sort of a culmination of a number of different uh, different concepts that he plays around with in known space. And actually, uh, it was originally it was originally a short story, which he then uh, expanded into to novel length. Uh, and it's all born out of this thought experiment he did about the, the idea being: what if there was an evolutionary advantage to all the medical problems that humans get as they age? Hmm. And it's all kind of born out of it's all kind of born out of that, and it deals with evolution on alien planets, and uh, and you know, uh, you know, one of the more fascinating uh, uh, notions is that the protectors are very intelligent, but also supremely logical. They they live and think in terms of direct cause and effect, and as a result, they don't have free will. They can't make choices because their brains instinctively go for what is the most logical outcome, not necessarily the right outcome or or the most expedient outcome, just the most logical outcome. Uh, Okay, though, that being said, though, this novel doesn't stand on its own very well. You probably should read more of his known space stuff before reading this. Hmm. There's just too many references to other other. Bits and pieces, nuts and bolts of the setting, and uh, a, lo- a lot of things kind of come out of nowhere unless you've, and you will have no idea what they're talking about unless you've read other known space books, specifically The Gift from Earth and uh, The Planet of Patabs. I see. World of Patabs, sorry, no, alliter- no alliteration. I got to uh, watch a, a film recently called yeah. Hitchcock. About the oh, making cool. of Psycho, starring Anthony Hopkins as Alfred Hitchcock and Helen Mirren as uh, Alma Reville, Hitchcock's wife. And I liked it. I thought the acting was really good. I thought the writing was good. But it's like almost a bit too cute sometimes. Mm. Like, I don't think you're going to learn any... Like, I've read a few books about Hitchcock and I didn't really learn anything new. But I think the acting... Is is good and it has a lot of uh, funny jokes in there. It's more of a comedy, I think, at points. Well, you know what? Because Hitch- Hitchcock's one of those figures where, no matter how serious you're trying to be, if you talk about him, you inevitably have to do your bad impersonation. He's kind of like Nixon in that way. Does and, and that can often kind of poison attempts to do serious portrayals of, of the figure. Do they handle that well? You know, Anthony Hopkins, they don't try to make him look exactly like Alfred Hitchcock, but sort of more suggesting how he looked. That's not bad. And he does a good he does a good job uh with the voice. I mean, it's um <laughs> there's mom- some of the moments I liked in the film the most are sort of like he looks directly at the camera and talks to you as if it's a segment on uh Alfred on Hitchcock presents. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And at the end of the film there's a very funny shot. 
where he says, you know, it talks about Psycho becoming a success, and he says, I do wonder what film I'll do next. And a, a bird lands on his shoulder. A crow lands on his shoulder and then flies off. We know he had <laughs> a, a real, like, uh, sense of humor for that thing, for that kind of thing. Did you have you ever seen the trailers he used to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, those trailers are amazing. Where it has nothing to do with the movie. It's just him vaguely talking about the movie, and like his trailer for the birds is like, I feel like it's ten minutes long, and it's just kind of him just chatting. And I'm going to feed my bird now. Oh, the little blighter bit me. That's a naughty bird. Yeah, the the trailer for Psycho is about ten minutes long, and it's him going through different rooms of the, of the hotel. This, oh yes, this is where the stabbing occurred. Right. And, and the other thing I love about that trailer, it's loaded with spoilers, but they oh, don't yeah. hurt the movie at all. No, I mean it's almost like the trailers were a little short film uh, in and of itself. And uh, just watching this film, Hitchcock, it made me really want to see. And I haven't seen this one yet, but I'd like to. Is there is a film? Let me look and I don't know the name of it right now. It was made for Showtime. They came out last year called The Girl, where uh, ac- British actor Toby Jones played Alfred Hitchcock, and it's about the filming of the birds and about um, sort of Hitchcock being obsessed with uh, actress uh, Tippi Hedren, oh. played by Sienna Miller in the film. Interesting. So you could see it sort of as, as far as when it takes place as a sequel of sorts for uh, the Hitchcock film. But they both came out the same year and everything. So sorry, it was HBO, not Showtime. But yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm I'm going to. Ch- so would it, would it be worth checking uh, checking out Hitchcock, trying to find a copy myself? I did like Hitchcock. Yeah, I think you'd get a kick out of it if you especially if you like Psycho seeing how they filmed some of those scenes, I thought was pretty amusing. I, I do really want to check out this th- film, uh, The Girl, as well, which is about Hitchcock's later career. It's pretty cool. I'll have to check that out. Do you think one day they'll do a, a biographical movie about uh, Spielberg like that? Mm, not until after Spielberg's dead. Oh, but very, very likely, yes. Do you think they'd do one about Shecky Spielberg? I don't think Shecky would get one either. I don't know. It's really hard. You know, it's hard to to do a movie about the making of a movie or about a director because, you know, if you're not familiar with that guy's work, what are you going to get out of the movie that a documentary wouldn't give you? Well, I don't know. It depends because I think it's not so much whether the audience knows much about the director. It's whether or not the people making the movie know much about the director. You know, they're, they're the ones who have the burden of communicating things. Mm, right. Okay, so well, I think that's a pretty good What You're Watching segment, and I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode of the sequel cast in which we've talked about Jaws 3. Be sure to tune in next week as we wrap up our coverage of the Jaws franchise with a look at Jaws The Revenge. The Revenge. So um, check out the website again at sequelcast.com or follow me on Twitter at sequelcast. And, uh, or go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. For the sequel cast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. And this is Shecky. Same.
Quick, hide under the animatronic octopus. The dolphins will save us from that shark. Screw you, humans. <laughs> Dolphin, why are you betraying me in my time of need? The shark is coming to eat me right now. I regret nothing. <laughs> die, Landwalker, die. Ah, ah, I thought I loved you, Dolphin. But it was the that shark. That was about love. That was about power. <laughs> I see. Dolphins really are the true sharks of the sea. 